Thank you, Miss Ruth. Thank you, Alexis. Appreciate those songs. Great thoughts. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Appreciate Brother Greg uh, filling in for me last Sunday night uh, while I was away fishing. Um, a lot of you have called into question whether I really caught any fish. I don't understand that just because I didn't bring any home and I don't have any pictorial evidence. It doesn't mean I'm lying about it. I really appreciate Brother Greg, appreciate uh, him and Miss Heather and uh, the people they help here and serve here, and, and they both they mean a lot, not just to this church, they mean a lot to me. I thank God for them. Uh, when I spoke last on a Sunday night, I kind of went off script a little bit because I didn't want to start something new before being away. Uh, so instead, two weeks ago, of talking about practical doctrines like I had been doing for a little while, we talked together about seeing both God and Satan having a plan in every major event of our life, in every major event in our culture, and in every major event in our world. Uh, we exhorted one another to have our eyes open, that it isn't just Satan at work with a plan when things go badly in our life. God also has a plan uh, in those difficulties, and we encourage one another that when we have successes and things seem to be going our way, it isn't just that God is blessing, that Satan also, even in those successes, has something he's trying to bring about. Uh, tonight, I want to uh, return to talking about some practical doctrines. I want to uh, spend a few weeks talking about a practical doctrine that I think is very poorly understood in our culture. Uh, I think uh, a lot of the people of God in a church like this understand this, but uh, whether we like it or not, uh, because we live in this culture, we are all subtly influenced uh, by it, and it's always good to hit a reset button. I want to spend some time, several weeks in fact, talking about authority and talking about leaders and talking about followers. Uh, I'm not going to teach on this subject because I'm aware of any problem. Uh, I'm teaching on this subject because I want the Lord's church here and I want our homes to be more and more like uh, our Creator designed those institutions to be. Uh, when our church and when our home and when our government, it's, when it's like God designed those things to be, everybody's better off. And so I want to spend time talking about authority and leadership and, and following uh, leadership. Uh, now this subject is especially important to us uh, as a church. Uh, as a church, we want to always be striving to go forward, to do what we do for the Lord better, uh, to do what we do to the best of the capability that God has made us able to do. And because over the years, uh, most of our ministries have grown, and because of the nature of a church where uh, people regularly come and go for both good and bad reasons, uh, we are always looking for leaders, we are always looking for workers, and quite frankly, if the Lord tarries, I believe the Lord has some new things that He would have us start as He sends us uh, people to uh, do those new ministries. So it's important that we understand uh, these concepts from a biblical uh, perspective. We understand that the world is looking for talent. Uh, in the Lord's church, uh, first and foremost, ahead of talent is character. And ahead of talent is 
our faith in Christ. Uh, what we do here, we do for the Lord Jesus Christ, we do for others, and it's wonderful if we have talent from God to do that, but most importantly, we need faith and character and a heart for Christ to do what we do. And if we're going to do that, uh, we're going to have to understand rightful authority. In fact, let me ask you a question. When I say the word authority, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Question it? Rebel against it? Challenge it? Monitor it? Hate it? Avoid it? Tear it down? I, I, if I had passed out a people, piece of paper of your first thought, I, I really think that the number of people whose first thought when I say the word authority is respect it. Follow it. Support it. Obey it. Those, just, those are not the first thoughts that come to, to our mind when we think about authority. Authority is the power to command, to enforce laws, to exact obedience, to judge a person or situation as being right or wrong. Did you know that one of the biggest problems in America today is an authority problem? You realize that the majority of police problems, they're authority problems. I mean, people aren't out there breaking the law because they don't know the law. They're breaking the law because they don't want to respect the authority of the law. I mean, here's some foolish parent telling their child, uh, listen, the police are out to get you. Don't listen to them. What a foolish thing to say. You know, the majority of our moral issues in our culture are really an authority issue. I mean, hear a college professor saying, you decide what's right and wrong, it's your choice. Hear the business owner telling their employee, I don't care if it's unethical, this is my company. Hear the secularist telling people, it's your body, do what you want to do with it as long as you consent. That's an authority problem. You know, many of the problems in people's lives, they're an authority problem. Here, here's some child in, in, in our Sunday school or at an activity when someone tries to correct them and say, well, you're not my mom, you're not my boss. I mean, they didn't do that because they love parental authority and they want to obey their parents. They just don't want to listen. It's an authority problem. I mean, the biggest problems in our homes are authority problems. I mean, here a teenager saying to their parent, you're not going to tell me how to run my life. Now, you might not say that out loud because sometimes you might have a nice handprint. I'm not recommending that, by the way. Uh, hear a wife telling her husband, you're not going to tell me what to do. <laughs> so I want to spend a few Sundays, Sunday nights talking about authority uh, and then following that down to how to be a leader and how to be a follower and, and how to apply these biblical principles in these roles that all of us fill. Listen, all of us have to deal with this. See, uh, I didn't hear the gospel until I was 24. Uh, as a young adult and as a teenager, probably the one issue that destroyed my life more than any one thing is the fact that I didn't have a good view of authority. In my own mind, as an unsaved teenager and young adult, anybody who tried to be an authority over me was taking my freedom, they were taking my fun, anybody. I, like 
pretty much all of our culture just had in my mind, I am the authority, don't tell me what to do. By the way, that's an ungodly attitude. Parents modeling and teaching our children how to use and follow rightful authority. It's one of the most important lessons we teach them. And by the way, we teach them first by our example. Hear me when I say, listen, if you have authority problems, you're going to have issues in every area of your life, all your life. Now, I, I get it. I mean, we all struggle with authority unless it's ours. I mean, we all have a fallen nature, and let's just be honest. Anybody with authority in our life other than God is flawed. Remember, rightful authority is a power to command, to enforce laws, to exact obedience, to judge a person or situation as being right or wrong, which brings up a lot of good questions. Who has rightful authority? How is rightful authority supposed to be used? What is the purpose of rightful authority? Where does rightful authority come from? Why should I follow rightful authority? How do I follow rightful authority? How do I know if someone's misusing rightful authority so that I don't follow that authority? Those are all good questions. And I think we want biblical answers because I want us to think rightly about this key area of life. If you're able to stand, if you would stand tonight in honor of the Word of God, the title of my thought is God's authority in our life. God's authority in our life. Genesis chapter 1. But by the way, this, this series is not going to be very exciting. You say, good, now that you've warned me, I won't ever bother to show up again for the next few weeks. You know, not everything we study in the Bible is brand new, interesting stuff like when we went through the book of Revelation. And though this isn't very exciting stuff, this is one of the most practical, helpful series of ideas and thoughts That'll help our relationships in every area of our life if we would listen to what God has to say about this and apply it. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. To every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth on the earth wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. In the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thank you, you might be seated. God is our creator. He makes the rules. See, God being our creator is the foundation for all rightful authority. Uh, you and I have no right to decide what Jehovah defines as being right or wrong. Now, we choose what we do. God gives freedom to do that. But understand that God is going to define whether what we chose to do is right or what we chose to do is wrong. God is the authority. He made us. I, I get it. Man over the millennia has made many of his own gods, but the true God, man didn't make the true God. The true God made us. He is the authority. 
See, God had the authority in the beginning of verse 28. It says, God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. God had the authority to, to command them to do that. God had authority to tell them to subdue the earth. That, that was God's plan for man. In the end of verse 28, he says, And have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Listen, dominion belonged to God. And God could have said, you know what, I'm going to keep dominion for myself. But God didn't do that. God delegated uh, some of the authority for dominion over the earth to man. And God has the right to decide who has dominion over the earth. God had the authority to decide that man's diet would be fruits and grains but not meat in verse 29 god said behold i have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed to you it shall be for me god had the authority to do that god could say to man listen i don't want you eating animal muscles uh right now uh, all you are allowed to eat is fruits and grains and, and vegetables god had the authority to do that God had the authority to tell the animals that they would not even be able to eat all that man was able to eat. They were only allowed to eat the, the herbs. And that's what it, uh, it says in verse 30. To every beast of the earth and every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I've given every green herb for meat. And it was so. Listen, God had the authority to tell the animals not to eat each other. He's the creator. He had the authority to do that. God had the authority to define that everything he made was very good. In verse 31, God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. In the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God had the authority to decide what was good and, and what was bad and what was not. In chapter 2 of Genesis in verse 17, God says here, But the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God had the authority to do that. He's a sovereign creator. He could decide that man was not allowed to eat from that one tree, and God had the authority to decide the consequences of eating from that tree. Now, God, as creator, making the rules and defining what is right and wrong, that is the foundation for all authority. And the reality of the matter is, is that the likelihood is in a place like this tonight, uh, there's probably very little if any problem with the foundational truth that god makes the rules and god chooses the consequences of breaking the rules or the blessings that result from keeping the rules i mean it's a sensible thought it's almost inborn in us that god makes the rules but here's the problem i've never seen god I've never audibly heard God speak. And by the way, I don't believe anyone else has either since the last apostle went to heaven. So that brings up a good question. We all agree that God is the authority. He's the creator. He decides what's right and wrong. He decides the consequences. But here's the problem. We can't audibly see God. We can't uh, audibly, visibly see God. We can't audibly hear God. So how do we submit to God's authority today? I mean, a part of the reason you're here is there's some desire in your heart to submit to God's authority. How do we do that? But because God cannot be visibly seen or audibly heard by anyone, 
God has delegated some of his authority to other things and other people that we can see and hear. There are things and people in all of our lives to whom God has delegated authority, some of his authority, in some situations. And if you and I fail to understand that God is a source of all rightful authority in any of these places where he has delegated it, we will never think rightly about authority. Now many of you, maybe even most of you, have heard uh, me talk about my first job in Cincinnati. Uh, I moved from Toledo when I graduated from school to come down here to work, and I worked in a plastics plant that was over in the Reading area, and the plant manager was a guy by the name of Dick Roberdu, and uh, man, he ran a tight ship. Uh, he knew everything that went on in the plant and in the office. Uh, he was not afraid to call you in the office. He was not afraid to fire people. I one time literally saw him uh, take the guy who was a production manager, who was a year and a half from retiring, uh, and demote him while that man was on vacation. And that man came back from vacation to find his new boss in his old office. That's Dick Roberdu. Uh, you, you feared him. And no matter where you were in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the plant, no matter what you were doing, if the secretary came back there and said, Roberdu wants to talk to you, and everybody called him by his last name, Robert, who wants to talk to you, you immediately dropped what you're doing. It didn't matter what it was, and you went. You never went because of the authority or the persuasiveness of the messenger. You always went because of the delegated authority that that messenger had from Robert. If you didn't have a right view of authority and you said, well, you're the secretary. You're not telling me to do it. I'm going to finish this and then I'll come. Uh, listen, you didn't last. A right view of authority is one of the keys to success in life and it is very important for us to teach us by our example and words to our children and grandchildren. Now listen, this is a hard thing to teach because all of us struggle with authority other than our own. All of us from time to time. Submissiveness is a quality that is completely contrary to our human nature. And one of the reasons we don't like to talk about submissiveness and we don't like anybody to teach or preach on submissiveness is that we just hate the subject. I mean, submissiveness, it literally goes against the grain for everything that is in our heart and mind as a human being. But I want to shape our thinking on this issue because I believe if our thinking is better on this issue, it'll help our homes, it'll help the Lord's work here, and it'll help us be more productive in society. So since I cannot see God visibly or hear God audibly, and God is the ultimate authority, where has God delegated authority in my life? I hope you understand one of the reasons our marriage is are in such a mess is, is that we don't understand or apply God's authority in our marriage. Well, one of the reasons our homes are in such a mess is that we don't understand God's authority in a home, what he's taught us, where, where he's delegated authority. One of the reasons American churches are such a mess is that people don't understand where God has delegated authority in the Lord's churches. 
And so tonight, what I want to do is I want to lay a foundation. Uh, you probably will find it more interesting when we get farther down the road when we talk about practically applying how to uh, lead when God has given you rightful authority and how to follow someone when God has uh, given someone rightful authority. That might be more interesting, but this foundation is essential to understanding uh, what's down the road. Where has God delegated authority in my life? Please first go in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Say, Brother Wally, I don't know why you'd bother to teach something you know we're not going to find interesting. Uh, because I'm not here to be interesting. I, I'm here to help you. And I'm here to preach and teach the Bible, and some of it is helpful, but not that interesting. And some of it's interesting and not that helpful. Uh, I was just talking to somebody tonight, because I'm teaching through Job on, on Wednesdays, and they said, well, what are you going to say about the sons of God? Uh, that's very interesting. It's not very helpful. Uh, this is really helpful uh, if we learn this and apply it. Uh, where has God delegated authority in my life? Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, very familiar territory, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good Works. If you've never memorized that section, you, you should do it. Uh, the first place God has delegated authority that we can see and hear is in his word. Uh, speaking with the inspiration of the scriptures, that deals with the quality of how the scriptures started. Inspired. God breathed. Holy men wrote as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Uh, the words that were written were God's words. He used human pens, he used human personalities, he used human experiences, but the words that are written are God's words. God delegated authority in his word. Go next please in your Bible to Psalm 12 because it isn't just the quality of how the scriptures began that matter. If you start out with a perfect product, but you have no preservation, the fact that it was perfect at the beginning, it doesn't do us any good today. See, inspiration speaks about the quality of the product that God's Word started as. Preservation speaks about the quality of what we hold in our hands today. And again, very familiar, good memory verses, Psalm chapter 12 and verse 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, Purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Uh, the words of the Lord are pure and they are preserved forever. That preservation speaks to the quality of what we have right now in our hands. It was inspired when it began and God delegated some of his authority to the scriptures and we have it preserved and so we have in our hands a copy of something that is a preserved authority of God in our life. That's not just an Old Testament doctrine. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away. My words shall not pass away. The first and primary place where God has delegated authority in our life is in the Bible itself. 414 times the Bible says, thus saith the Lord. 
46 times God said. 219 times the Lord said. In the New Testament, the phrase, it is written, appears 63 times where someone, Jesus, Peter, Paul, or John primarily said it is written and used the Old Testament as the authority for some behavior or some doctrine or something they were teaching. God, first and foremost, delegated some of his authority to the written word of God. Now, since the Bible is, since Jesus has gone back to heaven, the only infallible and inerrant authority in this world is the Bible. Now, there are other authorities in this world. Uh, Everybody in here probably, if certainly, if you're an adult, in some area of life, you either are or have been an authority. All authority answers to the only infallible authority. In fact, it's not an accident that Jesus is called the Word. Uh, You may not agree with this, but I personally believe that if the real Jesus showed up in America, people would treat him just like they treat this book. The written Word. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, they would talk about how much they believe it and love it, but not really pay much attention to it. I mean, listen, all over this room tonight, there's people, you haven't picked your Bible up, and when you picked it up this morning, you hadn't picked it up for a week. I love the Word of God. I believe the Word of God. All behaviors, all viewpoints, all belief systems, they must be compared to this final authority. Uh, Listen, you want to know what God says is right and wrong? Look in His book. I mean, all these practical issues, whether it's homosexuality or abortion or capital punishment or the role of government or what is moral and immoral, look in the book. God has delegated some of his authority to the words of this book. If you want to know what God says about how you can live forever, look look at what he's written. You want to know who Jesus of Nazareth is. You want to know how you be saved. You want to know what baptism is. You want to know what the role of baptism is in your life. You want to know what the church is or what the church should be doing. Look in the book. I mean, God delegated some of his authority to what's written in this book. You want to know what God's like? We're studying that on Sunday mornings. Look what's written. You want to know what God wants in your relationships? See what the Bible says about it. How should I treat my spouse, my children, my friends, my neighbors, my enemies? Listen, you're not going to on your own uh, come up with a plan for treating your enemies like Jesus said to treat your enemies. Hollywood, our culture, a democratic vote, they they don't determine any of these things. The only infallible, inerrant authority is not government, it's not the church, it's not me, it's not any parent, it's not any husband. The only inerrant, infallible authority where God delegated his authority is in the written word. All other authorities are judged and compared to the authority of God's written words. Jesus said this, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. That's John 12, 48. The authority of the Bible is absolute. It cannot fail. It is infallible on any and every issue on which it speaks. And if you're here and you think uh, you have some place where you think you've found an error in the Bible, let's chat after service. 
See what people do. I've had a lot of people say, well, there's errors in the Bible. I said, well, name one. Talk to me after. Name one. The fact of the matter is, if you, the only reason you say that is you don't want to check it out and you don't want to obey its authority. So why? It's delegated authority from God. And, and because of that, that, that's the reason this book is always under attack. Remember, God cannot be visibly seen or audibly heard in our day, so God delegated some of his authority to the written word of God, and it's no surprise that it is under attack by Satan, it is under attack by man, and it is under attack, sadly, by ill, uh, what's a good word, uh, poorly thoughtful Christian people who tear it down. I'm going to make this statement, and I'll make it several times in this series. Because every other delegated authority is tainted from time to time. Never obey delegated authority that tells you to disobey this book. Did you? I, I have said this over a hundred times from this book. Don't you dare follow me if I'm not following this book. That means we need to learn what it says. It means we need to learn what it doesn't say. It means we need to learn where it's clear. We need to learn where it's vague. We need to know where it's silent. Have you decided that God knows more than you do about eternal life, about marriage, about parenting, about disciplining your children? I'm amazed at people, and I've known hundreds of them over the years, who will believe what God says about eternal life, but they won't believe what God says about marriage. They won't believe what God says about parenting. They won't believe what God says about handling their children. They won't believe what God says about their morals, and then they wonder why things are a mess. But hear me when I say this. The Bible is not the only place where God has delegated some of his authority in our lives. Remember, God himself is the ultimate authority. He's the creator. He has the sovereign right to define what's right and wrong. That means God also gets to decide where or to whom he delegates some of authority, his authority because it's all him. Because he doesn't stop with delegating some of his authority to his written words. In his word, God also delegates some of his authority to some people under certain circumstances. Go next, please, in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. Say, Brother Wally, this is old hat. It's not old hat to everybody. And even if it is old hat to you, it would be good for you to remember it. And by the way, just because you've heard it before, if you couldn't go in there and show somebody, you don't know it that well. God is the ultimate authority. God has first delegated some of his authority to his words. He inspired them. He preserves them. And then in his word, God delegated authority to a husband over his own wife. By the way, a husband doesn't have his authority over his own wife because of the government. He doesn't have authority over his own wife because of American tradition. He does not have authority over his own wife because he's bigger and stronger. God delegated some of his authority, first to his word, and then in his word, to a husband over his own wife. 
Ephesians 5, verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as a church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Uh, in verse 22, God couldn't be any clearer when he said a wife is to submit herself to the authority of her own husband. In fact, he makes it a very high standard. It says, as unto the Lord. Notice this submission is to your own husband. This has nothing whatsoever to do with the role of women and the role of men in society. Nothing whatsoever. This is God saying a wife should follow the authority of her husband. I'll say amen. Thank you, Debbie. You know, it's kind of a sad thing, you know, that as time goes on, um, this is kind of a joke in churches. Uh, I wish I wouldn't need to say this, but you know what I've observed is that very often the longer people are married, the less a wife feels like she needs to do this. You say, why? I, I don't know. Maybe you're really familiar with his flaws. By the way, when God delegated authority to a husband over his own wife, God knew he would be flawed. Now, brother, I wish, I'm not going to do it tonight, we will later on. I, I wish every husband here who heard me say that, that you would also be here for when we talk about a, how a husband should use his authority over his wife because she's not your child. And your authority over your wife begins in verse 25 where it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for it. Your authority begins by loving your wife. God delegated some of his authority to a husband in the marital relationship. God told us how a wife should interact with a husband and a husband to the wife. And here's what God said. He said, uh, sister, this is how I want that relationship to be. You pick the man. Brother, this is how I want that relationship to be. You pick the woman. If you're here and you're unmarried, young lady, I would say to you, never marry a man whose authority you know you cannot submit to. Uh, brother, if you're here and you're a single male, I realize as a young man your expectations are off the charts unreasonable. But you should not marry a woman who will not at least try to follow your authority. And I don't have time to talk about the unreasonableness of a young male and his authority. But the reason a husband has authority over his own wife is God says so. A husband isn't necessarily smarter, he's not necessarily wiser, he's not necessarily more spiritual, but a home will always be more stable if it's led by a husband. And if that husband is a godly man, then that home has a potential to be a great home. No husband is perfect. None. But let me just say this, I would hate for the only reason for me to be the leader in my home as God said so. That's enough of a reason. But I would hate that literally the only reason my wife could find to follow my authority is, well, God said. 
I'm going to talk about that more in a few weeks. I, I just remind every wife here of a simple thing. Your submission is untested until you get in a situation where you don't agree with your husband. As long as you agree with your husband about what should be done, you're doing your will. Your submission to your husband's authority, it's not even tested, it cannot even yet be measured until he wants something that's neither in nor out of the word of God and literally it is only his authority whether you decide whether you do that or not. That is when your submission is actually tested. By the way, we have some ladies here who would like to know. You would like to know, and you should feel good about yourself if you're a wife who tries to follow the authority of your husband. Let yourself feel good about that. But that's how you know, if you really want to know. One equal submitting to another equal to fulfill a role God designed in marriage. Listen, Jesus submitted to the will of his Father. He was not less than equal to God. It was two equals, each filling a role that the Godhead decided they would fill in eternity past. And so wife is not less of a person. She is not less valuable if she submits to her husband's authority. They're just two equals filling a role. But it isn't just that in his word, God delegated some of his authority to a husband over a wife. Turn up just one chapter. uh, God also delegated authority to parents over their own children. By by the way, this is one of the things in our culture that is a big mess. And by the way, it isn't much of a smaller mess in the church. I mean, it's not just in our culture where kids are running the farm. Uh, Listen, there's families here tonight, and your kids are running you. That's literally the opposite. Remember, God is the ultimate authority. God delegated some of his authority to the only infallible, inerrant source in the written words of God. And then in his written words, he delegated some of his authority to a husband over his own wife. And he also delegated some of his authority to a parent over their own children. Ephesians 6, 1, children, it's a dirty four-letter word, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Uh, God couldn't be clearer that children are to submit themselves to the authority of their own parents, to obey them. Notice again, this is not a relationship of all children to all adults. This is a relationship of children to your parents. That's what it says. Now, there was a cultural tradition in America that pretty much anybody was a, who was an adult could smack any kid around for pretty much any, any, any reason, and that's probably better than the system we have today, but that's not really biblical. Uh, adults don't have authority over all children. Parents have authority over their own children. In fact, though the scriptures teach we should respect our elders, respecting our elders is different from them having authority in our life. By the way, I'd strongly suggest you only correct your own children unless you've been given permission by their parent to correct them. And again, just like the submission of a wife to her own husband, it's just pretty much a joke in in, in our society that uh, children would obey their parents. I I about want to spit and kick something every time 
I listened to that commercial where the dad says, well, uh, if you don't click your seatbelt, I'm going to get out there and dance in the sidewalk. No, dear, buckle your seatbelt, period. What a joke. Terrible. God has delegated some of his authority to parents over their own children. By the way, that's one of the reasons that I have asked our adults when we're out knocking on doors, you shouldn't be talking to minors whose children are not there, whose parents are not there. Say, why? It's a respect for parental authority. Uh, listen, pray tell, why would you, it, 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 suppose it's you, and you're in the other room, your child answers the door, even though you told them never to do that, and then somebody you don't know begins talking to them about religion. Are you going to appreciate that? By the way, the answer is no. And, and so why would you do that? Who do you think you are? Listen, parental authority is one of the clearest Bible principles that there is. Now, some of you teenagers and uh, some of you young adults even who live at home, listen, you might not like your parental, uh, your parents' authority. The answer is real simple. Move out. I, I despise this attitude, and it's in the church. Uh, well, when you turn 18, uh, listen, show me in the Bible where turning 18 means anything other than that you're one year older than 17. Now, I'm not implying that a parent should treat a 22-year-old who's still at home and going to school like they treat a 15-year-old. I think that's dumb. But I'm just saying, the parent is the authority as long as that child is under their parent's care. And if you don't like it, move out. And then you don't have to obey your parents anymore. You have a responsibility all your life to honor them. And by the way, that affects your lifespan. The reason parents have authority over their own children is God said so. And every home and every child would be better off if they did this. And if you're a parent here and your children are running your home and running you, you need to understand where your authority comes from. It ain't because you're bigger. It's because God gave you authority over your own children. And children here, or anybody who's living under your parents' nickel, uh, God gave your parents authority. And so you should obey it, because to disobey them is to disobey God. Amen? I wonder what other areas God has delegated some of his authority. Not authority to do what we want, but an authority to do what God wants, the God who delegated some of his authority there. You quietly stand.